Hey everyone, my name is Alex Rosa. I'm a family life pastor here at New Life, and I'm really excited to be continuing our series called New Beginnings, Freedom and Fruit. What we're doing is we're taking this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. It's called Galatians. And this was actually a pretty common thing that Paul did. He would write to different churches because God had called him to go from town to town and start up churches. And so when, what would happen is he wouldn't get to stay there forever. And so he would make these relationships and he would love these people. And then God would call him away to go start a new church. And then he would love those people. And then it would just continue. So eventually he would try to go and visit them again, but oftentimes that wasn't possible whether he was in jail or not. And so he would send letters to the churches instructing them on how to live. And in this specific letter, he was talking for most of it about this idea about freedom and fruit. How do we live in true freedom and how do we have lives that produce fruit? And really the first four chapters are this argument for true freedom. And he's talking specifically to these people called the Judaizers. Now, the Judaizers were a select group of people that were of Jewish descent and that really leaned into that Judaism and were taking pride in in the, the law and trying to follow that. And so they weren't really accepting the true freedom that Jesus offers. And Paul Not only did he not like this, but he was seeing these people that he loved not accepting true freedom, and it hurt him, so he wanted to instruct them, so he wanted to make this argument. And it's important to know that he wasn't arguing to yell at anyone. Really, he was arguing so that the people he loved could have true freedom, could experience this freedom that only Jesus offers, that God freely gives as a gift. As people, what we do, though, is is we get in our mind these different definitions of freedom. I know I do. I can look back at my past over the last 20 years or so and, and remember specific times where I thought I knew exactly what freedom was. So as much as I look at the Judaizers, I'm like, what are you doing? I, I did the same thing. When I was in high school, I for sure thought freedom was going to come when I got my license and a car. I, I thought that was freedom for me. And then in college, I was like, man, freedom is being able to not have to check in with anyone about where you're going or when you're doing things. That is freedom. Then I graduated college and I got my first job, my first big boy job, and I thought that the job was freedom because I no longer had teachers telling me what to do. And then eventually I thought freedom was getting married. And then I thought freedom was buying a house. And all throughout these different steps, I started to understand better that they weren't truly free. I mean, you get a car and you get a license, what do you gotta do? You gotta get a job because you gotta pay for that car, you gotta pay for the gas, and then one day whenever you wake up at your friend's house and it's cold outside and you fail to scrape off the window and you wreck, you have to pay for that to get fixed too, and you have to go tell your dad that you did it, even though you try to pretend that you just, um, you just you didn't do it. I mean, that happened. And, and so that's not necessarily freedom. And then you go to college, and as much as sure, no one's telling you when to go to sleep at night, but you do have teachers that tell you when to turn things in. And if for some reason you have a semester where going on two months, you fail to turn in anything because you're moping because your girlfriend broke up with you, they still get upset and give you poor grades. Whether your heart is broken or not, that's college. Again, that's personal experience. And then when you get a job, sure, no teachers are telling you what to do, but you do have bosses that are telling you when to show up for things and making that not an optional thing. 
And then you get married, and all of a sudden, the Amazon box that you're using as your end table just isn't good enough. And then you get a house, and for some reason, you get these annoying pen pals named West Pen Power and Saxonburg Area Authority who just are never satisfied with the money that you give them. It's just something that almost prepares you for the lack of freedom that you get as a parent. And through all of those stages of life, I started to realize, like, okay, well, this isn't naturally freedom, that what I want it to be, so maybe the next stage. But as I've been walking through this message series, and as I've been listening to Pastor Chris and Pastor Barry talk about this idea of what Paul was speaking about, I realized something. We ask for freedom, but what we really desire is the license to do and say whatever we want, whenever we want. That's what we think freedom is. But in reality, we know this because we're flawed people. We're broken people in a fallen world. And when we do things by our own devices, when we become masters of our own destinies, it generally leads to trouble. And we get into spots that we don't want to be in, and then we need help to get out of them. That's why King Solomon, who wrote the book of Proverbs, who was regarded as, still regarded as the wisest man who's ever lived, talked about this in his book. Now, I think the book of Proverbs is really cool. The other day, I was with my New Life students' small group, which is senior high boys, and they're 17 years old now. They're, they're going into their senior year, and a 17-year-old was telling me how the book of Proverbs applies to his life, and it's cool because I'm 17 years older than him, and I feel the same way. The book of Proverbs applies to my life today, and it, it's, it's amazing to see how words thousands of years ago still apply. So King Solomon wrote this regarding what we're talking about. He said, in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. And then in Proverbs 16, 25, he doubles down and says, there is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. It's the same thing. He said the same thing twice. It wasn't a mistake. He was saying it because we need to hear it. Sometimes we need to hear it over and over. Even as we were preparing for this message series, I looked back at the last couple, Pastor Chris spoke and Pastor Barry spoke, and I realized that we're all talking about this idea of freedom. And I even said that with Pastor Barry, like we, we all took it from a different perspective. And I think this was purposeful on Paul's part and on God's part as he assembled these messages, because as people, we need sometimes to hear the same thing over and over, because we get tripped up with the idea that when we make our own path, it's going to lead to freedom. But it neglects the fact that we are always serving something or someone. We're either serving the master God or we're serving the master of our earthly desires or the sin that's in our lives. This message, I'm just being honest with you, as we get into the, the verses in the chapter of Galatians that we're looking at, Galatians 4, 21 through 31, you'll start to see some weird things that we're going to be talking about. And as I was preparing this message, I had a really hard time. I had a hard time the day that I wrote it, the week leading up to it, the day that I, I was practicing it, and even leading up to talking to you today. Just had a hard time in my heart because there's some confusing things that I wanted to get them all right. And I was struggling with this idea of what is freedom. And the day that this message was due to be turned in, I opened up my Bible app and it was like God was talking directly to me. I've been going through the Bible in one year by Nikki Gumbel. And in that, the, the specific devotional, the day that I turned this in, he talked about Thomas the Tank Engine, who I know greatly because my son loves Thomas the Tank Engine and, and James and Percy. Nia is my personal favorite because she's orange and it's my favorite color, regardless. But uh, uh, Nikki Gumbel was talking about Thomas the Tank Engine. And as he was speaking, he said, and there's a cartoon where Thomas falls off the tracks. 
And when he falls off the tracks, he says, I'm free, I'm free, I'm finally free. I've fallen off the tracks and I'm free. And it's funny because we know that Thomas is way more free when he's on the tracks living or running as he was designed to run, operating as he was created to operate. And the same is true for us. We are much more free when we are living the way that God designed us to live because he was the architect of our lives. And not just whenever we get off that path, but when we are living on that path. Nikki Gumbel said this in that same devotional. We might imagine that we are freer if we have no one telling us what to do other than ourselves, but this is a delusion for we find ourselves enslaved to sin. It leads to a dead end. Paul's letter was talking to people who were just driving into a dead end over and over. He was trying to tell them, Jesus came to offer you freedom. Just accept the true free gift of freedom. And again and again, they said, well, my way is better. So I'm going to actually do this. And it didn't lead to freedom. It led to them being shackled by sin and enslaved to sin because they just didn't get it. St. Augustine or Augustine or however you want to pronounce it, heard it both ways, said this, God was the master whom to serve is perfect freedom. Now that kind of might throw us for a loop because we oftentimes think that we give up our freedom when we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Honestly, people have a lot of trouble. That might be you. That was me for sure. I didn't want to give up my whole life to God. I didn't, I thought that was the opposite of freedom, but true freedom is given to us when we serve the master God. And so that is what Paul is talking about. As we come to the end of chapter four, he's really finishing his argument. So he took four chapters to talk about this idea of the law and this pleading to the people to accept true freedom. And he uses the end of this as a springboard to chapter five where we're really gonna embrace that idea of lives producing fruit and how we can apply this freedom to our everyday lives. And so Paul concludes his argument where, again, he was doing it in love by sharing an allegory. Now, an allegory was a very popular way of arguing at the time, and an allegory is a story, a poem, or a picture that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning, typically a moral or a political one. So he's tying all of this in together, and he's trying to make one very specific point. And this is our take-home point, which is the one point that this whole message is all about, and that is that Jesus offers true freedom. Jesus offers true freedom, and he's the only one who does. And so as we read through Galatians, even when kind of some weird stuff pop up, let's keep that in mind. That's what Paul was talking about. That's what the, the idea that we need to take home with us today. Jesus offers to a true freedom. So let's take it from Galatians 4, 21 through 23. Tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. Before we get into the meaning of that, why don't we pray? Dear God, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for the freedom that you offer to us as a free gift. I thank you for making a way for us to accept that freedom. Pray that right now that you will speak through me into our hearts. 
Allow us to feel encouraged and challenged to be more like you. Allow us to get on the tracks and live as you've designed us to live. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. So Galatians 4, 21 through 23 is really referencing a story that happened and is referred to in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. In order to understand this story, though, we need to understand who a guy named Abraham is. A few weeks ago, I talked about Abraham in a message called The Promise. And if you've missed any of the messages throughout this summer, I want to encourage you to go to the New Life Christian Ministries app or newlifexn.org and catch up on them because I believe all of them have great applications for how we should live our lives and really defines what Paul is talking about. But in reference to that message, I talked about Abraham and how he was an older man in his late 80s and God came to him and gave him a promise that from his line would come an everlasting line, that his descendants would go on forever. And really what he was addressing is that from his line, Jesus would come. But Abraham didn't know that at the moment. And again, he was in his late 80s and he didn't have any children. Well, a few years later, when he was about 100, his wife, Sarah, who was about 100 as well, became pregnant in this miraculous way, and they gave birth to Isaac. And from the line of Isaac would come Jesus. And so we talked about that a couple years ago, or a couple weeks ago, years ago, a couple weeks ago. And in between those stories, in between those like 17, 15 years or so, something happened. Isaac wasn't born yet. And his parents were getting pretty antsy. They wanted to start this process. They wanted the promise to be kickstarted. So Sarah went to Abraham and had an idea. And it's referenced in Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 through 2. Now, Sarai, which, again, something that you might need to know, Sarah and Abraham, their names were originally Sarai and Abram. Just give some context to the scriptures. So Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord had prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. Now you might understand why I felt like this was a weird scripture to talk about. I first read that and I went, what? Like, really? What were they thinking? thinking. I like to generally have an illustration from my life or from media that references what God's Word is talking about, but I have nothing. I have nothing that comes close to this idea that Sarah was like, hey, we're having a hard time having kids, so why don't we just get my slave, and I'll go out to the store for a little bit, and then let's see what happens. I mean, I'm sure maybe in like a soap opera, general hospital something, there is some kind of illustration that I could have dug and found, but again, I have nothing because this is something that seems so strange to me, but really the root of what they were doing is they were trying to take hold of their own destiny. They were trying to make a way where God was already planning to make a way. He had a plan for them, and he was just saying, hey, be patient. Be patient. I have this. I I have a plan in motion. And instead, they wanted to do their own thing because we think that freedom, again, is doing what we want when we want. We think it's true freedom to do whatever we want, But left to our own devices, we end up paying for the results of sin. It only feels free until the consequences arise. It only feels free until it's too hard and then we don't want to do it. And in this case, it felt free until Hagar gave birth to Ishmael and Sarah was filled with jealousy and rage and anger. 
There is something prominent about being a firstborn son, especially in the Jewish days. And so the firstborn son to Abraham was Ishmael, who was Hagar's son and not Sarah's son. And so when this happened, Sarah understood the error of her ways and she was angry and she took the anger out on Hagar and Ishmael, which had to be hard for Abraham too because he was a big part of this mistake that happened. And this is his son that his wife is very angry at and eventually they remove from the family. And so there's consequences that happen in their hearts of, of, of all four people involved, but there's more consequences to understand. Generally believed by the Muslim faith, Ishmael was the firstborn of the Muslim religion, that they can even track, or so they say, from Muhammad all the way back to Ishmael. And so the Muslim religion believes highly in this idea that Ishmael was the firstborn son of Abraham, and they take pride in that. And it led to destruction and pain on this earth and pain for Christians all over the world. And this was one of the results of what Sarah and Abraham did. Again, taking their, their own fate in their own hands instead of listening, listening and obeying God. I believe this is one of the reasons why Paul was ter- telling this story. As, as weird of a story it is, it is, as it is, he was telling this story because we do the same thing. Maybe not in that situation, but we oftentimes try to take hold of our own destiny. And he's specifically telling it to the Judaizers because that's what they're doing. They're saying that their way is best. They've heard Paul say it's not, but they continue to live that way. And Paul is warning them against that. The prophet Isaiah would speak about this. He'd said, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's ways are better than ours. I mean, he is working with all the answers. He has always existed. He always will exist. He is all places, at all times, always. It's like, as people, if we don't go to God for that guidance on what we're supposed to do, it's like going to a test that's open book and failing to bring the book. The answers are provided by God, but we just need to go to him. His ways are higher than our ways, and we just need to trust in him. But unfortunately, what we do is we rely on ourselves. The second reason I believe that Paul shared this story was to talk to the Judaizers who were taking pride in who they were born from, the line that they came from, the line of Abraham. They were allowing that to puff themselves up. They were taking pride in the fact that they were Jews descended from Abraham, and they were trying to find their freedom and their identity in that. But Paul was saying, well, hey, wasn't Ishmael? born the same way? He was born from Abraham. Should he take pride in that? Should we take pride in the fact that the Muslim religion also claims the fact that Ishmael was, was from Abraham? The writer James Montgomery Boints, who has just a really fun last name to say, Boints, said this, Paul simply reminds his opponents that Abraham had two sons. Ishmael and Isaac are meant, though Abraham did have other sons later, and asks, in effect, which of these two children of the legalizers take after? So Paul is challenging their thinking. 
He's saying that the important thing when God promised to Abraham that his descendants would live on forever wasn't the physical descendants. It was the fact that Jesus came from the line of Abraham and that if we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, we enter into this relationship with God that lasts forever. So that's the importance. Jesus is the importance, not just the heritage that people had. Jesus actually got into the same kind of argument with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were religious teachers, and they were also Jewish people of the descent of the line of Abraham. And so they were really prideful, and they would boast themselves up because of who they were born from. And Jesus talked to them about this exact same thing. It was recorded in Matthew 3, 9. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. He's saying we don't get into heaven because of who your daddy is. We don't get into heaven because of how good we are. We don't get into heaven because of the prestige that we can gain from this earth. In fact, Jesus is the only one who can bring us freedom from sin and death. Jesus is the only one that can give us this gateway to enter into God's glory, entering into heaven. And when we start to mistake other things for our need for freedom, we're going to end up with these consequences of sin. We're going to end up being slave to our own desires instead of being a slave to the only master that is worthy of us serving, and that is God. Paul continued in Galatians 4, 24 through 26. These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where people received the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia, because she and her children live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman, and she is our mother. It's talking about this idea that Hagar represents how Abraham's descendants are descendants in a physical way, kind of like her son was born in a natural way. Ishmael was born by by humans in a human plan, whereas Isaac was a miraculous birth. And so Sarah represents the spiritual kingdom, this idea of going into the spiritual family of Jesus, because Isaac was born in a miraculous way, and so was Jesus. And so when we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, we enter into that relationship and we get citizenship in the spiritual kingdom of Jerusalem. In fact, we, can, we give our lives over to Jesus. We don't get citizenship in an earthly place. We get citizenship in the spiritual Jerusalem, God's kingdom. So we don't get like a passport or a license that says Jerusalem on it whenever we accept Jesus, but we get citizenship in the kingdom of God. We get that true freedom because of who Jesus is, not because of who we are. Paul continued in Galatians 4.27. It says, As Isaac said, Rejoice, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break into a joyful shout, you who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. This is specifically talking about the prophecy given to Jerusalem regarding the Babylonian captivity. So there was a time where God's people sinned against God, and so everyone was taken out into the Babylonian captivity. They were spread out all throughout the world, and this prophet would say, hey, someday you're going to return to the city, and the days ahead are going to be so much better than the days that have already happened. 
But in this passage, Isaiah is also talking about this idea that Jesus was going to come and the days of Jesus are going to be way better than the days before Jesus because people will be able to enter into Jerusalem. But again, he's talking about this spiritual Jerusalem, this idea of God's kingdom on this earth and God in heaven. We get to accept this true freedom because of Jesus' coming. And so Isaiah is talking about this. And so Paul is referencing it. And then in Galatians 4, 28 through 30, he starts to talk about this application of what does this really mean. He said, and you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the child born of human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. What Paul is referencing here is that in, the, in Genesis chapter 21, Ishmael is like 17 years old where Isaac is two. And there's this point where Ishmael mocks his younger half-brother, which is weird. Like you're in high school, you're mocking a toddler. What's wrong with you? And Sarah felt the same way. And in fact, she boiled up with so much anger. That's when Ishmael and his mother Hagar were removed from Abraham's family. They were sent away. Again, we see this result of sin. And so Paul's talking about this because he's saying the mocking came, the persecution came from within the family because they were brothers. So that's where the mocking and the persecution came from. And he also says that that's actually happened in the church throughout history, where fighting comes from inside. Now, others don't like Christianity from the outside, but there's been a lot of infighting over the years. I mean, you look at God's prophets who were sent and killed by Jewish people. You look at Jesus who came to this earth, and it was the Jewish leaders who were crying out, crucify, crucify. And then Paul, when he was Saul, before he made this convergent to to going and becoming a Christian and, and starting these churches, he was actually a guy named Saul who would persecute the Christian church, and he was a Jewish leader. And now he's talking to Judaizers who profess Jesus but are causing trouble and division between both Paul and the people in Galatia and causing heartache because of what they're fighting about. And it's this idea that we have to be careful about watching from persecution from within the church. In fact, today we have to care about that today as well. Today, one of the greatest enemies of the believing church is found among the members of the unbelieving church. We see infighting today. We see denominations splitting and Christians arguing with one another about the way that they perceive the Bible. In fact, Christians, what they're doing is they're looking at the Bible, and as the reader, they're trying to define what it means instead of allowing the author, the Holy Spirit, and, and the writer, meaning Paul, whoever else wrote it, and letting them define the meaning. And then once a Christian will make their own meaning up, they'll fight with other Christians to believe in it. And we see this, and it's disastrous, because instead of us fighting against the enemy, against the fighting Satan, we're fighting with each other. And Jesus actually warned against this when he was on this earth. In Mark chapter 3, it's recorded that Jesus said, a kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. We're called to fight alongside each other, not against each other. And so Paul is saying not only that this is something to watch out for, but he's also talking about the story of getting rid of Hagar, getting rid of Ishmael by saying, hey, if you are in this church, if you're reading this letter right now, if you're listening to this letter, you can imagine some of the Judaizers listening to this letter. 
Paul's saying, kick them out, remove them. If they're just causing division, get them out. And you could kind of picture in your mind people looking for the exits, like, are they really going to kick us out? But Paul was serious because he's saying, like, that is going to ruin the mission that Jesus has to tell people about his true freedom. We're going to get in the way with our own earthly desires. That's not going to happen. Remove them. And throughout this, Paul is forcing us to ask ourselves these questions because it applies to us today too. He's asking us, forcing us to ask this. Am I counting myself more important than others because of my money, standing, years served, or something else? We might not be counting ourselves as more important because we're Judaizers because of our heritage to Abraham, but it might be something else, our, our intelligence, whatever, is holding us in our minds above other people. Second question, am I changing the meaning of Scripture to fit my own personal desires? Are we doing that? Are we twisting the words of God to make them mean what we want them to mean? Years ago, there was a writer who wrote a book about hell, and he was saying that he didn't believe hell existed, and his main crux of the argument is because he didn't want hell to exist. That's not for us to say. God is the one that created the world and the truth and and heaven and hell, and and we need to listen to him. So are we doing that? Are we changing the meaning of scripture to fit our own personal desires? And the final question, am I feuding with other Christians for any reason? And if so, how can I live at peace with them? Are we loving those that Jesus has redeemed in the same way that Jesus loves them? Or are we trying to pick fights because they might not align exactly with what what we say. If they're not against the scripture, what are we doing? Why are we fighting? Why are we causing this, as, as Jesus talked about, this kingdom to be in civil war and a family with their house being splintered? That's not what God designed us to live like. He designed us to live in true freedom. And Paul's talking about this, and God wants it for us today. He wants to put us on the tracks so that we can experience life as God designed it for us. The the section of Galatians that we're reading today ends when Paul says this. So dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. We're not slave to sin anymore because of Jesus. We're not a slave to death anymore because of Jesus. In fact, we can enjoy true freedom. You see, freedom, again, isn't offered by a license or a car or by a well-paying job or by getting married or having kids or getting a house. That's not what freedom is. Again, that's us getting to do what we want to do in large part. But we get true freedom from Jesus. We're given a freedom to be who God created us to be in relationship with the one who designed us. We don't get to be a slave to sin and death and our earthly desires, but we get to serve the master God and he can guide us into who we were designed to be. So what do we do? Because we always want to ask these questions. What do we do with the knowledge that we're given today from this book of Galatians that was written a long time ago? How is the Holy Spirit applying it to our lives right now? Well, I think the first thing that we can do is accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you've never done that today, in just a few moments, we're going to give this opportunity to ask Jesus to be our Lord, which means our owner, which means our master, and also ask him to save us and rescue us from sin and death. Paul talks to the church in Rome what this means for our lives when we give our lives over to Jesus as Lord and Savior. He says, but now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. 
If we want freedom, let's live in it. Let's accept Jesus and live in it. Also, what else can we do? If we bought into the lies, the lies of the world saying that we should live a certain way or believe a certain thing about ourselves or the way that life should work, let's go to God, confess our sins for believing something that's not his truth, that it's not the truth, rather, the absolute truth of God. Let's, let's ask God to forgive us of those sins and accept the true freedom and live in it. If we've also bought into this idea that wealth or standing or anything makes us more important and it's causing us whether to puff ourselves up or to fight with other Christians, let's ask forgiveness of God. Let's also go to those people that we're feuding with. Let's ask forgiveness from them and then let's live in true freedom. It's available for us today. It's a true gift. It's a free gift that we can receive and live out. And if we want to do that, we can tie all of that into our next step today, which says, I will confess my sin to Jesus and live in freedom this week. Whatever we're doing that's against God's will, let's confess that and accept the true freedom that he offers. Today, again, if you're in here and you're saying, I want that freedom, I want to live in that, I want to be put on the tracks and go as I was designed to live, well, here at New Life, we say it's as simple as A, B, and C. We say it's as simple as that because A means admit. We got to admit that we need a Savior, that we are sinners, that we fall short on our own, that when we just follow our own devices, it's going to lead to trouble and calamity, that we need to give our lives over to Jesus. And B is believe. Believe in, in God as the, the creator of the universe and Jesus as his one true son who died on the cross for you and for me. And C, we confess our sins to God. We confess our need for our Lord and Savior. In just a few moments, we are going to celebrate this true freedom. We're going to celebrate the new life that Jesus has given us, and it's going to be available for all of us who give their lives to Jesus as Lord and Savior, and I really want that to be you today. If you have not given your life to Jesus, and you've been kind of on the fence, you've been fighting to give up that control because you don't want to lose freedom, I'm telling you, it's how you gain freedom. So right now, why don't we pray? And if you're in here today and you are a Christian, I want to encourage you to pray for anyone that's listening right this moment that doesn't know Jesus to accept him as Lord and Savior. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear God, I thank you for what you have done, what you continue to do in our lives. I thank you for saving and redeeming us. Right now, I pray that if there's anyone listening right now that has not known you as Lord and Savior, that they will say this prayer alongside me with their own words, with their own, in their own heart and their own mind. They'll say, dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the one true God, that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Forgive me of my sins and take over my life. Be my Lord, my master. Allow me to enter into your family, into your spiritual Jerusalem, to the kingdom of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.